Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, James introduced the category of wisdom when he wrote, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Over the intervening chapters, he's wrestled with, he's exhorted the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad concerning the testing of their faith by temptation, about the sin of partiality, judging as the world sees and not as God sees, about faith and works and the impossibility of having one without the other. And then last week, he spoke about the tongue as a fire, set on fire the entire life of life, course of life and set on fire by hell itself. And now with the opening words of our text, James returns to the category of wisdom with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? In verses 13 to 18, he develops a contrast between two wisdoms. One, a wisdom which comes down from above, the answer to the prayer in chapter 1 where we started, and the other is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Even more poignantly, James describes its fruits as disorder and every vile practice. But the root of the problem comes from within, from the heart that's filled with bitter jealousy and self-ambition. The root of that word self-ambition is honorable enough. Originally, it meant to work as a day laborer, to get your wages for what you do. But as James and also Paul uses the term, it's morphed a lot. It is the attitude of self-seekers and harlots, etc. Those who, demeaning themselves and their cause, are busy and active in their own interests, seeking their own gain or advantage. Something our culture knows in spades. Tom Jacob reports on a recent study that concluded, quote, self-regard, self-promotion, and plain old bragging is far more prominent in pop music than it was a quarter century ago. Close quote. The authors of the study noted that in 1990, blatant bragging was pretty much limited to rap music. The study analyzed the lyrics of the top 100 songs from 1990, 2000, and 2010 as compiled by Billboard magazine. It looked, for example, in eight categories of self-promotion, including referring to myself by name, demanding respect. Compared with earlier years, songs in 2010 were more likely to include the singer referring to him or herself by name, general self-promotion, bragging about their wealth, their partner's appearance, or their sexual prowess. There are similar increases noted for bragging about their musical powers and their demands for respect. Perhaps the most concerning part of that study was the reflection that music both reflects the values of the culture from which it arises, and it sets the standards for that culture. What ours is saying, at least our music is saying, is that promoting oneself by bragging, demands for respect and self-focus is acceptable. Or in terms of our text, a worldly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. But the start of chapter 4, James focuses in on the community, on the congregation, and his question is pointed and personal. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Those two worlds, quarrels and fights, are near cinnamons in our language, but a little more contrast in the Greek. What is translated as quarrel means, first of all, to wage war. 
which causes us to reconsider the magnitude, the significance of letting our differences of opinion run wild. A word of caution in amidst the time of congregational change. And then from the congregation to the heart. Like a surgeon, James cuts to the source of the problem. Verse 1b, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Our translations are all over the board here. ESV names it as passions, but others render it as pleasures, desires, lusts, cravings. He's describing the heart, our sinful nature, the old Adam in each of us. As our Lord spoke earlier this year from Mark 7, For from out within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, I have to just James pull any punches here. Jeff Kloh observes that James 3 and 4 stand among the harshest condemnations you can find in the New Testament. And the vocables are conscience-catching and step-stopping, double-minded, verse 8, adulteresses, verse 4. The image of God's people whoring after other gods is really quite frequent in the Bible. Psalm 106, after a litany of sins, the psalmist declares, Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Or Judges 2, in a summary statement after Joshua's death, Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. Jesus also uses that imagery. Matthew chapter 12. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Adulteresses, indeed. As we consider our culpability to that charge, we do well to recall one of the better-known examples from the Old Testament. Gomer, right? The wife of Hosea, the 8th century prophet of Israel. Chapter 1, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the Lord land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. The children, two sons and a daughter, all have symbolic names. The first, a boy, has a queen's name. Jezreel, which means God sows. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. Then a daughter, Lorahamah, not pitied. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. And finally, Loami, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Harsh names of judgment. But then the thought-provoking turn in chapter 3. Hosea buys Gomer back for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. The whys and the wherefores of the entire story are difficult to sort out and are a point of controversy. But God's purpose in all of this? Horace Hummel summarizes it this way. By his marital history... Hosea himself had become a walking type, an internalization, an incarnation of the inner meaning of God's way with Israel. And that way reached its end and fulfillment in Jesus of Nazareth. Close quote. We note Matthew's connecting Hosea with Jesus in the explanation of the flight into Egypt. For this was to fulfill what the Lord spoke by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. 
Matthew 2, citing Hosea 11, verse 1. God would buy back. He would redeem his people at the cost of his own son. Which gets us to the heart of the text and really the heart of the epistle, verses 8 to 10. It is an inclusio of repentance. Consider the two outside terms. Draw near to God, in verse 8, and humble yourself before the Lord, verse 10. It's an invitation to lay bare the disorder in every base deed of life, to confess and own the results of that earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom, to cease quarrels and fights. There are no winners. On Monday, people fought against praying in schools. On Tuesday, you would be hard-pressed to find a school where someone was not praying. On Monday, people tried to separate each other by race, sex, color, or creed. On Tuesday, they were holding hands. On Monday, people fought against having the Ten Commandments on government property. On Tuesday, the same people said, God, help us all, while thinking, Thou shalt not kill. On Monday, people were upset when their dry cleaning was not ready on time. On Tuesday, they were lining up to give blood for the dying. Monday, politicians argued about budget surpluses. On Tuesday, they together sang, God bless America. Lament, mourn, weep are the commands at the very center of James's message to the church. And then the blessed gospel counterparts. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He already has. Out of Egypt I called my son. He came as a child, born of Mary, laid in a feeding trough. He walked among us, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, casting out demons. Even in his bloody passion, he drew near to us. As the crowd, as we cried, crucify him, crucify him, he prayed, Father, forgive them. And he does, for Christ's sake. Hosea's youngest child, Loami, not my people. But the name attaches itself to the fundamental covenant promise that they would really be his people, and he would be their God, as the prophet promises in chapter 2. I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. In baptism, God put his name on you. You are mine. He declares by water and word. You are the fulfillment of that promise to Hosea. The fulfillment of the promise in Christ and the Christian church echoed in 1 Peter 2.10. Therefore, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. It is Jesus' own expression. He uses it in the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee in prayer in Luke chapter 18. After the tax collectors, God be merciful to me, a sinner, Jesus declares, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That word exalted is elsewhere translated as lifted up, perhaps most notably in John 12. And I, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he continues to do so in word and sacrament. We are lifted up to walk in the wisdom from above. Recalling the end of chapter 3 and verse 17. Jesus describes a wisdom that is first of all pure. 
no doubt referring to this wisdom source from God himself. And the next three qualities of wisdom are all connected with making and keeping peace with each other. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason. True wisdom does not delight in starting quarrels, but putting them to rest. True wisdom is mercy-filled, producing a harvest of good deeds without hesitation, without considering the worthiness of recipients. And finally, true wisdom wears no masks. Opposed to the quarrels and fights that we started in verse 1, in Christ we are lifted up to a life that is above such self-serving and destructive behavior. Lifted up to help and befriend our neighbor in every bodily need. Lifted up to speak well of our neighbor and put everything in the kindest possible way. Yes, James calls us to repentance, but he does not leave us there, even as our Heavenly Father did not. He sent his Son, who was lifted up on the cross for our sins and raised for our justification, and now God has lifted us up in his Son. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.